Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. All characters during the show, such as Donatella Iglesias, Jimmy Coconuts, and Tyler Jerry are copywritten and are satirical. Any similarity to any persons living or dead is completely coincidental. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. Science! I know the human being and science! Science! Can just peacefully. This was their finest. Guys, welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. Today we're going to talk about something that's probably on everybody's mind. Why the fuck am I sick? <laughs> or to be more specific, what even really is sickness? You know, obviously there's a lot of pandemic news out there because there's a pandemic. You know, everyone knows their grab bag of diseases. But why do these things cause a fever, right? Why do you get a runny nose? Why do you feel like shit? It's actually a pretty interesting science behind this. Sean's entire field of study is... The immune system, because ladies, he wants to heal you. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. Dr. Love. Yeah, that's great. So we actually had uh, two episodes where we talked about the immune system. That's true. Those are prerequisite of... listening. Well, don't not listen. Right. But you should listen to our previous episodes on the immune system. Right. Innate immune system and adaptive immune system. I think listening to those is really going to help out with this episode because we're going to toss around some terms about different kinds of cells. And I'll give maybe like a little bit of information when I bring them up in this episode. But really, I think listening to the other ones will help out a lot. Right. If those episodes are about like your immune system, it's the police force. Rambo's in town. How do we stop Rambo? Then this one is about all the buildings that get destroyed in the process. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what are all the interesting externalities to this war against whatever pathogen is in you? Right. And I think that, uh, like Nathan was saying, there is kind of, uh, well, a lot of interest right now. But just sort of in general, I think people kind of detach the idea of like getting sick from like, well, what is actually like right. physically It's happening. kind of a binary. You're sick or you're not sick. And it's rare that you really delve into thinking about, well, what exactly is sickness? Right, so this episode, we're gonna dig into it and I'm gonna kind of go step by step through the process of getting sick and getting better. So I think, I think the process of this episode is kind of taking a few step backs from our assumptions about what sickness is and really thinking through the process step by step. I think the first one that seems so obvious, but really isn't, how does your body even know if it's sick or not, right? Is it like COVID hits your cheek and then somewhere a neuron is like, oh, fuck, it's COVID. <laughs> like, what, what's going on there? Right. So, you know, when something like a virus, like the coronavirus that's going around, shows up in your body... I was going to say, or syphilis. And then I was like, ah, oh, syphilis isn't a virus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it. a parasite. What? Uh-oh. <laughs> My bad. It's a, it's... <laughs> it's a bacteria. Why are you so naughty? <laughs> okay. So, uh, 
When a virus shows up in your body, it's going to need to get inside of a cell before it can hijack the machinery and make more of itself. But like the other things like- Right, that's not true. Fungi, bacteria, love Jane Austen books. <laughs> None of those things need to be in a cell to ruin your life. Exactly. They can go ahead and start replicating outside of a cell and do their thing. So how do we even notice that something is wrong in the first place? The immune system is a lot like- Police, we talked about that a lot in the other episodes. You know, they drive around neighborhoods, uh, keep an eye on things. But a lot of the time, they aren't actually the first ones to notice there's a problem. Our cells in our tissues are sort of like a neighborhood watch. Right. In that they're keeping an eye out to see if there's anything growing there that shouldn't be growing there. Right. Or, or if there's a cell that's acting weird because it's been infected by a virus. And so they use it's kind of a surveillance state kind of thing. They have cool. these things called pathogen recognition proteins on their surface and inside their cells sure. to sort of pick up on any patterns that evolutionarily our bodies know code for certain kinds of pathogens. Cool. What's funny is that that used to be a public utility, but then it was deregulated in the Reagan administration <laughs> and now Amazon owns it. So, so your cell safety light is Amazon owned. Right, right. And they Bezos also... is in your body. <laughs> So a lot of the time, it is the cell that actually gets infected that starts sending out signals like cytokines and chemokines to sort of alert your other cells in the neighborhood and your immune system. They'll kind of start shouting like, help, I'm being broken into. This is where, like, I think it's so easy to anthropomorphize things. This is where the anthropomorphizing actually kind of falls apart, right? Because, like, when they scream, help, I'm being broken into, the response your cell has is like, go die, right? <laughs> yes. Commit suicide fast. <laughs> right, right. So if, if instead of thinking of the, uh, the... Instead of thinking of them as people, if instead you think about them as, like, houses or something, right? Yeah. The neighboring houses... So the, the, if you think about them as houses... Right. That one house sends off an alarm to the rest of the houses being like, I'm being broken into. And then the other houses are like, why don't you blow yourself up? Right. That's kind of what happens. Right. And sometimes that blowing itself up is actually sufficient to destroy what was ever, what was infecting them. Right. In the first place. Right. And so there is this kind of early part of it that really doesn't have anything to do with what we normally think of as immune cells. Right. This is not even the cops are involved yet. This is literally a community turning on itself and stoning one member. Right. And, you know, your own cells that aren't the immune system do have proteins and stuff like that. They're not totally defenseless. Like some of them have shotguns in their houses or whatever. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right, right, right. They have things like ISG-15 and Viperin and different proteins that they can use to physically interfere with stuff like viral replication. Vigilante. Stand your ground, <laughs> says the cell. <laughs> So yeah, so there's that initial stage, right, where it's even pre-immune cells. But what ends up happening, if that's not good enough to keep the virus or the bacteria or whatever from going off. And just really quick, at this stage, if that works, yeah. then like there's no fever, right. there's no cough, you wouldn't even know that this right. happened. Right. Right. And so that happens a lot. Right. Plenty of the time. Right. I've like interacted with herpes constantly. God damn. But my cells are really fast. <laughs> Holy shit. Just kidding, Stacy. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Stacy's got a face on right that now. That <laughs> almost elicited a response from Animal Crossing. <laughs> but okay, so but it doesn't work. The cell is not told to self-destruct in time. Right. So then in that case, now you have signals going out to try to recruit other immune cells and things like that to the area. 
Okay, so chemokines are a protein that sort of can help attract immune cells. They're almost like breadcrumbs that help guide them to the site of infection. That's how Sean always gets me to do things I don't want to do. These <laughs> little breadcrumbs, and I'm like, nom, 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 nom. <laughs> With usually, balsamic. They're usually entire burritos. <laughs> <laughs> what's that What's that one meat that you like a lot now? Suadero. Suadero, yeah. yeah Suadero yeah, yeah. burritos. You pack me with Suadero, I'll do anything you want. <laughs> yeah, okay. That is accurate. And so, you know, in stuff like the common cold or something, right, it's usually epithelial cells. Those are like the surface cells that line your throat or your lungs or something like that in your respiratory tract. And they'll be the first ones to notice these little rhinoviruses or coronaviruses, which can also cause the common cold, trying to break into the cells. They'll send out signals to your immune system saying, hey, there's some dudes trying to break in here. And that process usually takes like two hours. Why does that take two hours? I can walk the length of my body very quickly. Why? <laughs> like, are all my immune cells eating donuts? Like, why aren't they working harder? A lot of this has to do with the time it takes to make the signals. Oh, so, that sucks. Chemokines and cytokines are proteins. Proteins are encoded for by RNA. RNA needs to be transcribed from DNA. That whole process takes a little bit of time. Jeez. So the human body is not really super efficient. It's more like the modern military industrial complex where like Lindsey Graham is like, buy a plane for $500 billion. (laughs) And then then it like finally gets to the military and it costs $2 trillion for one jet. So I think this is because I'm very used to you not making sense that when you said Lindsey Graham, first I thought you... (laughs) In my mind, it was Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> and I don't know. But like, I was like, what the fuck does Lindsay Lohan have no, to do I'm with the military? No, I'm talking about Lindsay Graham and the vapors. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Fuck. No, but that is right, right? Like, like, the body takes a long time to figure shit out. Two hours is not that long in the scheme of this kind of thing. Okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. For me, two hours is like a pretty rapid response. Well, it's just it's funny, right? Because like in human society, we would... Well, in America, we don't plan for anything. But but like in Taiwan, you would just keep like a big shed full of all the guns you need to fight off invaders, right? Why don't we just like have the proteins in a little packet somewhere that we can just like mm. pop open and then the proteins come out? Yeah. So sometimes we do have oh. things like that set up. And, okay. and in some cases, it's just everything has a, some kind of cost. Right. right there's, sure. there's always some kind of energy cost. Jesus. And for certain kinds of cells and certain kinds of responses we do have what are called granules which are little cellular compartments packed full of different proteins just ready to go damn that's actually how a lot of cytotoxic t-cells exist right is they'll have these kind of granules or and like mast cells for allergic responses some of those responses are very fast like you know with sure. allergies it doesn't take two hours for an allergy to develop a lot of the time but we only we only have those granules for certain things right we don't have it for the whole gambit of things that can affect you right having like all the cells in your body immediately ready to respond to a virus is like a pretty high energy cost right our body is like paul ryan it's like medicaid i don't want to pay for that cut that (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) all right uh yeah it's a little libertarian-y they're not willing to (laughs) so you're saying libertarianism is biologically true they just don't want a nanny state (laughs) they don't want a nanny state (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) okay so these rhinoviruses or whatever rhinos sound like. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, so so I will mention right now, it's kind of interesting, is that uh, I think they're called rhinoviruses because your nose. Right, right, right. right. That's so, oh, right, and rhinos are called rhinos because they got the big nose. Right, because of their horns. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so one of the interesting things about the common cold is these viruses, in order to get in, replicate, and then leave the cell, don't seem to actually kill 
any cells. In that, for the common cold, pretty much zero of the damage from a common cold is from the virus itself. Interesting. Any damage that happens from a common cold is from your own body. Right. Which is kind of an interesting example of an illness. Right. A lot of other illnesses are not that way. Okay. Right. Like influenza definitely causes more damage to your body and can actually, yeah, especially severe influenza, can actually destroy cells and stuff like that. Mm. But the common cold is sort of a weird, interesting one. It's very, I would say, it effectively evolved to our bodies as hosts. It's been around a while. Yeah, and so it's very good at kind of getting in there, doing what it wants, and leaving without destroying a bunch right. of stuff. Right, it's like a very codependent roommate or something. <laughs> right, it's like, it knows it needs you. For dishes. Right, so they get in there, and those cells will notice that there's some rhinovirus in, and like we said, after two hours, or maybe a little bit longer, they'll send out these signals to start recruiting a lot of immune cells, especially neutrophils right. and eosinophils for the common cold. But in general, you're going to see a lot of innate immune cells like macrophages, monocytes, and dendritic cells recruited to the area, okay? And neutrophils and eosinophils are cells that like to dump a lot of stuff out to kill extracellular guys. Right. Neutrophils, if you remember... Agent are, Orange. They're the kind of cell that likes to barf up their insides. Right, right, right. Right. And then macrophages and monocytes and dendritic cells are more like the ones that like to eat stuff up to show to your adaptive immune system so you can generate some immunity to it. Cool. Okay. And so that begins happening within a few hours, but continues on for the next few days. And then those cells also help in the recruitment process. So they'll call more people in, especially depending on how bad the infection is. Cool. Okay. Yeah, let's take a break. When we take a break, when we... <laughs> when we let's take a break. When we get back, we're going to talk about, like, do we put up posters? Do we spread the word? Amber Alert? How do we know who's the bad guy? Yeah, sure. <laughs> hey guys, this is Nathan and Sean from Petri Dish. We've got a lot of new listeners recently, and first we'd like to thank all of you guys for joining us. We're very happy to have you in the Petri Dish community, and also, we've got a favor to ask from you. Yeah, we would really love it if you guys could head over to podchaser.com or on iTunes or the Google Play Store and leave us a review and a rating so that we can kind of get the word out there. More people will be able to come and listen to our show. Yeah, we're happy that you guys found us. And let's try to get even more people into the Petri Dish fold or the Petri Dish Petri Dish. You know, our show takes a lot of work to put together. We do a lot of research that goes into it. Nathan writes up stuff. Stacy puts in a lot of work producing out all of the garbage that we <laughs> record in the first place. And all of that work takes a lot of time and effort. And so we would also appreciate it if you take the next step and head over to patreon.com slash Petri Dish. You can, of course, be a fool and give us like a million dollars a month, but it goes as low as a dollar a month. It would really help us produce the best possible version of Petri Dish. So guys, again, thank you so much for joining us. Ich benign science. So you guys all remember from the 1990s, little Tang cartons, and they'd have on the back, if you see this man, he's a rapist, watch out, right? Like kind of PSA stuff like that. What's the equivalent in the human cell? How do we identify bad guys in our body? You had rapists on your Tang cartons? <laughs> <laughs> I drew them. <laughs> wow, shit. No. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right, so we need some kind of way of identifying. And this is, by the way, everyone, something that we do talk about some in our innate and adaptive immune episodes. But the main thing is that at some point, usually a day or so into being sick, your innate immune system has been on site. They've been eating the bad guy, right? 
And they have enough experience where they've been kind of eating this guy up and putting pieces of the bad guy on their surface right. that they've started interfacing with the adaptive immune system. Your right. B cells and T cells that are responsible for sort of like memory, antibody production, that kind of thing. And so this either activates memory cells, which is to say you've had this disease before and now your immune system is showing it again. Yeah. Or it's the first time that you've gotten it. And so now you're maturing some memories or you're maturing some of these T cells and B cells. Right? Maturing memories would be an awesome scene in a sci-fi where it's like it's in Japan. It's like a sake brewery or something almost like something with yeast. Okay. And you literally have like a memory culture. Okay. And you have to like raise this memory culture. And as you look into it, you see the memories of the people who have like spit into there or whatever. Uh, I don't know. I've heard that. I, I was you thinking, take the microbiome basically. I right? got you. And you okay. ferment it. I was thinking it was going to be kind of like scotch or something like that, right? You like, you want like a sherry cask to like mature the, the memories. The human in. body. <laughs> <laughs> you, you melt the human body and put in a sherry cask. <laughs> I think we already kind of mature memories in that like over time we sort of like change get, memories get a little. Fucked, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Like they get a little weird. My memories get more and more immature. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so the thing is that if you are activating memory cells, right? So this is something that you've had before. Then you kind of had this really rapid adaptive response where you have antibodies and stuff like that popping up. And by rapid, I mean like within a few days. Okay. So time scale again might be different from what some people expect. Like I don't really know what people's expectations are for time and biology. Three minutes. Right. So, so like when I say rapid, somebody might think, oh, so within an hour of a virus getting into you, right. you're making antibodies again. I could go back to the beach. <laughs> right. But it takes longer than that. Yeah. So even if this is something your body has seen before, right. getting the memory cells up and running again, creating antibodies again, all that stuff, a few days. Right. Whereas a novel illness like COVID, your body's going through all the files, throwing it around, being like, I've never seen it before. Right. There and, are no memories. And that takes longer. That's one of the reasons why your antibody test, for example, if you're getting one for COVID, the antibody test doesn't really work before like, mm, there, there's different kinds of antibodies. Usually four days to 10 days. Right is the time window where you're not sure if you're going to get a signal yet. I mean, if it even works at all in this context, right? Like, what's up with all these people who get COVID again? <laughs> We're going to talk about this in this episode. Well, and, I don't know, Mr. Doctor. <laughs> Tell and, me. Yeah, so there's no evidence that when people test later and they test positive again, there's no evidence that they actually have living virus in them. Ah, okay. It's just like pieces of dead viruses that are still getting cleared out so we do get to reopen <laughs> i do get to hug everybody at the funeral if we mysteriously hit like 60 percent of people have had it and we have herd immunity now then yeah everything will be great but it's sean really this like episode's it. not about covid i know <laughs> That's, i've been trying to avoid it all right so we have this time scale, right? Where right. Okay, we have the innate first, two, for the three first days, few days, right? And then we have the adaptive kicking in and all that stuff. But what's sort of like broad versus specific things that can start happening, right? So the specific side is like the adaptive immune system. You make right. particular antibodies or you have T cells go around and they kill infected cells and right. stuff like that. And your innate immune system is going to keep trying to do what it does in general, which is either dump stuff out to kill things like bacteria or right. eat stuff up. So the innate immune system, they're going to be eating up the bad guys. This is pretty straightforward right. if they live outside the cells. But if there's something inside the cells 
then they're kind of hard to get at, right? You right. need the cells to die first. We need to be like Bolsonaro's Brazil and treat them like favelas. We need to just destroy the whole neighborhood. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so, so, I don't endorse that. And a lot of times, it's a much more orderly demolition process. Right. This is not Brazilian at all. <laughs> this is very German, the way we destroy things. Right. So, like, apoptosis. Okay. Apoptosis uh, is a very orderly process where right. you sort of... You, the most noble pharaoh. It's kind of like in the beginning of Hitchhiker's Guide. Where it's like, oh, we filed that we're going to be destroying Earth like a couple months ago. Like you, right. you had an opportunity to request that we not do it and all right. that stuff. So it's a much more orderly signaling process. Right. And then the cell will break itself down in a particular kind of way. As opposed to like necrosis, where that's one where a virus has replicated so much that it just like sort of rips open the cell and flies right. all over the place. Right. Right. So... Those are the ways that your immune system sort of deals with stuff on a cell-by-cell basis. But what about stuff like fever, right? Yeah. Sort of this kind of like broader symptom of yeah. a lot of diseases. Why are all these diseases causing fever? Or what's fever at all? Why am I getting hot, Sean? Why am I so hot right now looking at you? Why am I getting a fever? Yeah. So we've said a bunch of times this episode and the previous episodes, you have these things called cytokines, which go around sending signals, Right. And uh, the cytokines can tell immune cells that they need to do some business, but they also provide signals to non-immune cells. Okay. Like they'll tell neighboring cells that they need to prepare themselves and grab their shotguns. Right. There's tremors. But they can also travel more systemically. Okay. So instead of being in the local area, which is called paracrine signaling, they can also do endocrine signaling and just kind of go out all over the body. Right. Especially if the infection's bad enough. Paul Revere. The redcoats are coming. Get on our horse, little cytokine. If it gets to that point, cells at the blood-brain barrier can actually pick up certain cytokine signals, especially like IL-1 beta and IL-6 are two really good examples of cytokines that do this. Guys, go eight months in the future and listen to our blood-brain barrier episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah? We doing that? (laughs) Yeah. Sounds good. That's on the list, isn't it? Yeah. You know what? Maybe it is. It is. Maybe it is. I kind of forget. Our list is now... Quite long. Yeah, we have episodes out for like another year and a half. Yeah. It's it's a lot of stuff. That's right, guys. This is purgatory. (laughs) You're in this pod for the long run. So if you start getting those signals, that's usually an indication that there's some kind of dangerous infection because there's now so much cytokine going on. It's not just in a local area. Right. It's kind of gone systemic. The signaling has. And so they start using this enzyme called COX-2 to make prostaglandin E2 a signaling chemical. And prostaglandin E2 actually gets used for signaling in a lot of different contexts. But in the hypothalamus in your brain, this signal, PGE2, tells the neurons in the hypothalamus that it's fever time. Okay, the hypothalamus is what kind of controls your body temperature. Okay. And so... That signal through cytokines and then COX-2 and PGE-2 eventually tells your hypothalamus, let's change it up. So the body purposely puts you into a fever. Right, right, because of the cytokine signaling. So the hypothalamus then talks to your brainstem, and then they start sending messages down your spine to give you the shakes and to tell your body to start burning more energy. All of this is integrated into your temperature sensing that your hypothalamus does. So, you, like, your brain very carefully monitors what your body temperature is. Because if you get too hot, you die. Right? Like, we're endotherms. We keep control of what our body temperature is. Right. And so there is this feedback loop to make sure that we're kind of keeping track of it. Fevers are one of the worst parts of getting sick. Why would we cause a fever? Yeah, so there's still some debate on what fevers are supposed to be doing. 
Okay. Right. For a really long time, fevers were thought to be intrinsically pathological. During the Victorian period, it was assumed to be sexual selection. What? Rosy cheeks, <laughs> hot bodies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> made the breeding better. So I think, like, way, way back, like Greek times. Yeah. I think that fevers were thought of as a part of the healing process. And so uh, when okay. somebody got a fever, it was thought, oh, good, the disease is progressing through and they're going to get better. I mean, that's kind of vaguely true, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It was after that, then, for we a long period of time, up. yeah, that we were like, oh, fevers are bad, right? Which is actually why, even now, we have different drugs that are supposed to help reduce fevers. Right. Right. And so the thing is that there's a thought kind of related to heat stroke that really high Heat temperatures can hurt you but it's got to be really high yeah like and 500 degrees fahrenheit <laughs> no not not that high the not book, that high but <laughs> fahrenheit 451 <laughs> so that's good for you because books are bad fever is typically max out at about 107 fahrenheit right just 42 degrees celsius and that's like that's pretty much as high as your hypothalamus will let you go Interesting. And they're actually pretty well controlled. It's very, very rare for a fever to kind of get away and get past that point. So why are doctors in movies always like, she's 104? Like, that's a good thing then, right? Well, so it's, it's not totally clear if fevers really help that much. We'll get into that in a second. But it definitely they've gotten a bad rap. They've been thought of as bad for a really long time. They're definitely energetically expensive. Okay, so you end sure. up burning a lot of energy to do it. Okay. And I don't know if that's necessarily right. useful. But the big takeaway here is that you don't make yourself dangerously hot. Your body's doing it on purpose to give you a fever. So obviously that means your body can operate fine at like 104 degrees Fahrenheit. What is not doing well at that temperature? Right. So like a, a lot of viruses and bacteria don't seem to work very well at those heightened temperatures. Viruses require certain enzymes and certain proteins to both copy it yeah. and then also to assemble it properly. Okay. And those have a tendency to not work very well at these increased temperatures. Hmm. Bacteria also, a lot of them don't actually divide as well at these increased temperatures. Interesting. And in contrast, a lot of your immune cells like B cells and T cells and neutrophils all seem to work better at higher than 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Is that like an evolutionary product? Is that like we purposely wanted our homeostasis to be hotter? Well, it's not clear what thing came first over the other. The chicken or the egg. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's not clear if we started raising our temperatures during infections because the pathogens don't do as well. Yeah. And then we adapted our immune system to work better at those elevated temperatures or whatever, you know. But in any case, that does seem to be sort of a connection there that... B cells seem to make antibodies better. T cells seem to home in towards infection sites better at higher temperatures. And neutrophils tend to get better at barfing up their insides. And some cytokines seem to signal better at higher temperatures too. Okay. On the flip side, if you use drugs to lower your fever or whatever, okay. it doesn't seem to make the disease last super longer or anything. Like if fever is doing something really, really important... You'd think that taking a drug like acetaminophen, Tylenol, or whatever, right? You'd think that taking Tylenol would actually be bad. But it doesn't seem to really change anything. It doesn't seem to make a huge difference. There's not a lot of data that says, like, oh, you really get fucked if you take a fever reducer. And fevers do make people uncomfortable. So in that sense, from, like, a symptom management perspective, it might make people feel better. 
Fevers can cause people to sweat a lot and to lose a lot of electrolytes and water. So people need to keep their fluids up, right? So on some basic level, fevers are like, what the fuck? Yeah, so I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why fevers have had this debate over time. Like modern thinking is that fevers are fine. Right. You don't need to combat a fever. But on the other hand, they don't seem super useful even. Right, because if, if they were extremely useful, then when you take Tylenol, like you should be sicker for way longer. Right, whatever, right? but you're not. Right. Huh. So, you know, fever, kind of one of those little in-between spots. Okay, guys, let's take a break. But afterwards, we're going to talk about all the other icky-bickies that happen to you when you're sick. You have a fever, you've got, you know, that shit. You've got a fever, you're coughing, you're swelling, you're sore, you're stuffy, you got mucus. What's going on with all that other shit? After a break. The following is an actual advertisement. Hi, my name is Irfan with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. And I'm Vikram with Texas Tech University. And we are the Jolly Green Scientists, bringing you information from scientific literature and popular science articles related to the green industry straight into your eardomes. Each week, we'll take one or two papers that we found interesting and shared with each other, and we'll discuss them uh, in terms that anyone can understand. And even though we'll do it every week, we're only going to share it with you bi-weekly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, Sean, when I get sick, I definitely get a fever, but I'm also so swole. <laughs> you get super muscly? I'm, I'm, I am swollen. I'm thick. I'm Ooh. sore. Mm, everything hurts. You, Puto papi. You, you get know? kind of a Gerald of Rivia kind of look to you? Yeah, I just have white hair and yellow eyes, and I'm Ooh. sterile. Very sexy. Yeah, um, but why? Why am I so swole like Henry Cavill? Yes. So, soreness and swelling are usually a direct result of immune cell recruitment to an area. So this is another situation where it's rare for it to be because of a virus or bacteria, something that they're actively doing. Right. It's more the side effect of your immune cells all kind of swarming in. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, you can think about this like maybe like a traffic jam. If there's a bunch of police cars like coming into an area and like blocking up the street right. and your SWAT's there and everything right. like that. Right. It kind of blocks off this whole area. I don't know why. I was thinking about the Soviet army in Stalingrad. What? But I think it's the same idea. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, I don't know enough about what the army was doing in Stalingrad. You never played Call of Duty? Some guy's like, go, go, go. And then some guy's like, I'm a scared. And he runs. And the guy's like, bap, and shoots him. And he's like, everyone's got to go. <laughs> <laughs> it got really swole, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, okay. Yeah. So part of the recruitment process is making your blood vessels dilate. Okay, so like your capillaries and everything, they get swole. And they make little spaces so that your immune cells can squeeze out from the capillaries into the mm. tissue, right? So these abs you got now, they got a lot of immune cells and blood vessels over here, huh? Because you're so swole. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of touching. Um, so this happens through a lot of cytokines and signaling molecules, such as bradykinin. This has a couple of results. First, it makes it so that there are immune cells that are running around your bloodstream. It makes it easier for them to latch onto the blood vessel walls and then escape cool. through them, right? Squeeze through them. But also, it creates a flow of liquid into the tissue. Mm. And when you have liquid flowing into the tissue, first of all, it builds up this pressure. But second of all, it's sort of like now the infection is downstream of your blood vessels. And so it's harder for the infectious agent, like a virus, to sort of float into your bloodstream 
Yeah, this section is so erotic. Really? Is it? Yeah, floating, flow. I don't think swole. <laughs> what is erotic Henry about? Cavill, cost a toy to your Witcher. What is floating doing to you? Why is that an erotic word? Can't you just imagine you're like on the Ganges, right? And there's these big lily pads, and a prince or princess is floating down the Ganges on this oh, liver fuck. pad. Um, that's what I think. It's very, you know, like you ever see any Jean Renoir films? He has a movie called The River, and I haven't seen it yet, so I don't know what's in it. But like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like it's on my list. <laughs> Well, then you are right. I agree with you. <laughs> Can't you imagine yourself just like a like like Venus on a on an open clam uh, every night? That's how I imagine. <laughs> you imagine yourself. <laughs> yeah. You just look at yourself in the mirror with like suds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I pause my showers halfway through. With his goatee, you're growing. <laughs> all right. So all of this means that you have extra cells and extra liquid. In your tissue area, and See? that's going to cause swelling. That's kinky. Okay. Stop it. And that swelling in that area, taking up extra space, can set off pain receptors yeah. in your nerves. And so that gives you that sort of sore feeling in those spots. Mm. And that's, for example, what happens with a sore throat. Or thighs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Any spot you want. <laughs> Any spot? Yeah, exactly. God, you're so jammed up this episode. <laughs> I'm jammy. <laughs> the pain in, for example, our sore throat. Strawberry jam. <laughs> the pain in like a sore throat can also be from neurons detecting the secretion of inflammatory signaling molecules. Cool, okay. Like prostaglandin. So that means that there's actually neurons that sense pain in the area can also just get set off by inflammatory molecules. Cool. So, during infection, you also have a lot of extra immune cells hanging out in lymph nodes, okay? Because these are immune cell signaling centers, sure. right? Which is why you can have swollen lymph nodes, and those can also be painful sometimes, right? So they'll grow in size to actually accommodate more cells to have more signaling going on. That's interesting. And they form these swollen lumps. Damn. Okay. How about stuffy noses and mucus? I mean, that's... Probably one of my biggest issues is I'm just and just mucus like like rivers flowing down my cheeks. Uh, what's up with that? Yeah, so one of the big players in that, uh, as far as like mucus, stuffy nose happening with stuff right. like common cold is, or flu, is necrophilia is getting excited. <laughs> the neutrophils. Oh, okay. Those silly bitches. And so they get excited, and they have a tendency to secrete out a lot of cytokines again. Right. It's and like a really excited Japanese boy in an anime. Just splash all the blood because he's so excited. Right. Neutrophils just like, that <laughs> just vomit mucus. <laughs> it is kind of like that, actually. <laughs> I think the neutrophils are constantly nosebleeding. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so their cytokines cause the vasodilation, a lot of the swelling, and, you know, fluid Coming into the area, right? That swelling can make your nose stuffy by actually just taking up more space. But it also goes to mucus-producing areas. And those signals can also tell those mucus-producing areas to just secrete out more mucus. Gross. Okay. And you know how sometimes when you're sick, your mucus will change colors? Yeah, right. So when I was growing up, the sort of story out there was like green mucus means you have a certain kind of sickness. That's amazing because one generation later it was pink. Yeah, these are old wives' tales, right? You have, you have pink mucus? Uh, well, not me personally, but I heard. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This kid down the block, he would just straight up have bile. Like, it wasn't even <laughs> pink or green or nothing. Like, yeah, that was Shaq's son. He lived on 8th Street. So, so it's just... <laughs> I, I think he lived on John Street, actually. We lived on 8th Street. Stop stalking Shaquille O'Neal. I'm sorry. He's so big. Anyway. <laughs> I'm stalking. You're just walking down the street. That's Shaquille O'Neal. How can you not notice him? <laughs> um, so, when I was growing up... I had kind of heard that it's because there's 
stuff in it, like bacteria in it or something like that. Not true. Actually, a lot of that color comes from neutrophils and monocytes. So that's evidence that your body's really going at it. Yeah, yeah. And it's because those cells have a protein called myeloperoxidase. Myeloperoxidase is something that they use a lot um, as an enzyme for their immune response. And food coloring. That's That's what Kraft... Injects into its macaroni and cheese to green make color. It that, yeah, that famous green color. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sneezing is also related to all of this in that it's driven by your trigeminal nerves in your nasal epithelium. Certain nerves in your nasal epithelium. Trigeminal sounds like a species from a really bad Voyager that's like three genders. <laughs> it's interesting because it it sounds like somebody fucked up to me because like. Geminal, it reminds me of Gemini, which is like twins. Yeah, sure. But then a tri is three things, so it's right. like those don't match up. But in yeah. any case, so those nerves can detect inflammatory signals, and it makes you want to sneeze to help expel some of the mucus junk that's in the area. Of course, in this context, it's supposed to help trap particles and shit and help reduce water loss, which you might be worried about because you've got a fever and you're kind of sweating a little bit. And it can also serve as a physical space to just kind of hold on to some of the antimicrobial shit that's kind of out there. That's interesting. Because instead of just like secreting out antimicrobial stuff and having it wash away immediately, the mucus like lets it kind of hang out for longer and increase the odds that it hits a bad guy. So, okay. So soreness and swelling is like overeager new recruits, like Channing Tatum in that one song in the middle of Hail Caesar. And then, like, fever is like, who knows exactly what the fuck is going on? Maybe it helps, maybe it doesn't, right? And then the stuff he knows in mucus, though, that's, like, actually straight-up useful. Yeah, okay, so the swelling part is useful. It's just, it's a direct side product of something that has to happen. If you do have a lot of immune cells coming into the area, which we want... You're gonna get swole, bro. Yeah, you're gonna have kind of like a traffic jam. There's gonna be a lot of fluid flowing into the area, a lot of cells taking up space. That many hot fillies in one rodeo? Swole. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Cautiously, yes. <laughs> yeah, so then, you know, sort of uh, along with sneezing, one of the other kind of big expulsions that yeah. we think about. Cough, cough. Right. Why am I coughing? And so coughing is stimulated by sensory nerves in the larynx of your throat and lower. And ultimately, that signals through the vagus nerve to your brain. Okay, okay? cool. And so upper respiratory infections and stuff like that can stimulate... A lot of the mucus production, that mucus can drip down, and that dripping mucus can kind of make you want to clear it out and cough. So coughing is just a byproduct of the mucus production. So a lot of times we might call those like wet coughs because they kind of sound like really gunky, right? But then there's like, (laughs) right? There's like horse coughing. Right. Like really dry or like almost like rattly. There's paper rubbing together coughs, you know? The COVID cough. Yeah, actually. Yes. COVID is... uh, Exemplified by a dry cough. Don't look at me like it's amazing I thought that. I read the news too. It's one of the only symptoms. I am sorry to say that I was amazed that you said that. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of times that kind of cough, the dry cough, is from inflammation happening in the throat, which also sets off those sensory nerves. Right, okay. Okay, So in that case, there's no mucus around. It's just you're so inflamed that the nerves are accidentally getting triggered. Right. And then you're coughing. That's why someone has a dry cough, they're probably already dead. Whoa. Right, get away from them. 
Lock him in a room. They're going to be dead by sunset. Coughs. Just kidding. Don't do that. Yeah, I'm cough. joking. I'm joking. Wet coughs are usually associated with like a common cold or something like that because there's a lot of mucus. Right. Maybe, maybe allergies or something. Dry coughs like influenza. Right. Influenza, which can cause a lot more airway damage. Right. Which can cause more inflammation in that part of your respiratory tract. Okay. I think the final thing is that I just feel like I'm a druggie. I'm all strung out on crack cocaine. I'm lying around. I'm like... I want to watch movies. I'm so, t- <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tired. Why am I so tired? Right. So I think this happens probably whenever we get sick, but especially one of the big differences, I think, between like the flu and a cold is a cold, like you'll feel miserable, but with the flu, you'll physically feel bad and also like you have no energy. Right. You know what I mean? And as far as I hear, COVID is kind of similar. Okay. And so these can be sort of separate or there's all the symptoms we mentioned already, like being sore and everything like that. But you can also have body aches and feel physically weak. It can induce malaise and foggy brainedness, right? Okay. And so a lot of this is symptoms of cytokines going systemic. Oh, interesting. Okay. So a lot of that is just cytokines going to different parts of your body, interacting with muscle cells, interacting with your brain. Some of this might be adaptive processes to make you feel shitty. Right. So that you don't waste energy doing other stuff besides trying to get better. Jeez. Okay, because your immune response, things like all of the stuff your immune cells need to do and your fever, take up a lot of energy. Right. So your body might be trying to tell you, like, you are fighting off an illness. Do not feel good enough to go around and, like, hunt something or whatever. Just, like, fucking lay there and take it. Okay? And so you might be kind of conserving your energy. Muscle aches are probably related to pro-inflammatory cytokines causing the breakdown of muscle proteins to free up amino acids for more energy use. Because you need all of that energy for your immune system, so you might actually be breaking down your muscles to feed that energy requirement. Jesus. And headaches might also be caused by cytokines when you're sick. But people don't know why a headache would be useful. And also, like, what are headaches? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, good question. The human brain being the vessel of the soul is fundamentally metaphysical and hard to really understand on a biological level. Because either it's quantum or it's Christian. And between the two, science cannot delve. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Headaches, as far as like the pain getting set off, is from nerves that are not inside your brain. Right. Your your brain is not innervated with pain nerves. Right, right. So it's all stuff around your, your brain that actually gets set off for pain. Right. But why is as, that as far, Yeah, as far as I know, nobody knows any kind of good adaptive reason why we would have headaches when we're sick. That's interesting. You just kind of have headaches. Fuck headaches. They suck. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think to kind of close it out, we're going to talk about basically what happens to your immune system when it fails. Okay. Right? So all of this stuff, all these kinds of sick we were talking about, mostly are, are caused by your immune system in trying to make you better. Like, a lot of the symptoms from a cold are actually driven by us and not the actual virus. Which makes a a silly person almost think, wow, fuck that. I'd rather (laughs) just lose the war against this disease. Right. So it's kind of like, what is the point of all of that, right? Like, with a cold, what is the purpose of fighting back at all? Well, this is the immune system gone wrong. Don't worry, Jack, it's Chinatown. What happens? Right. So in a normal cold response, it usually takes us like a week to 10 days to fully fight it off. Okay. And during that time, we feel shitty because of our own immune system. But there are people out there who are immunocompromised. And those people do not have functional immune systems. What happens when they get a cold? 
or something. Right. And so what you see is that it can develop into cellular damage. It can spread to other organs. It can cause pneumonia in the lungs or it can cause secondary infections. Jeez, okay. So the small amounts of damage that it does cause or the immune cells being kind of focused on one area instead of another can cause you to get infected by a bacteria or something like that and can cause more serious injury or even death in immunocompromised people. Jesus. So even though the symptoms of a cold are kind of frustrating, and even though rhinoviruses themselves are like pretty innocuous, like they don't do very much damage, they can become more deadly if your immune system weren't doing all of this annoying shit to fight them off. Right. And so, you know, at the very least, viruses hijack your cells. And even if they don't destroy your cells, they keep your cells from doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. And that can have negative consequences for your tissues and organs. Bacteria can also be intracellular. They can also hijack cells and harm cells, or they can destroy cells, consume nutrients. So they can do all kinds of damage too. Mm. And so, you know, in some diseases, the only symptoms we get are because of our immune system being assholes. Right. But it's a good thing. A lot of times it's a good thing. So the immune system, it's kind of, like you said, they're a bunch of douchebags, a bunch of young rookie cops, bam, bam, boom, 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 Bruce Willis, Ryan Reynolds, whoops, Ryan Gosling, the other guys. But it, of course, is much, 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 much better than just like syphilis just running rampant and eating you up. Yeah, you know, we've done a few sets of episodes where we talk about different kinds of diseases, you know, viral hemorrhagic fevers and tuberculosis and stuff. And one of the things that comes up is when we're talking about symptoms of a bunch of these diseases, a lot of times we'll say, oh, it starts out kind of flu-like. Right. right? It's like, why is it always kind of flu-like? Because a lot of flu symptoms are actually immune systems. Right. That's your body trying to deal with it. Right. And then a lot of the funkier stuff that happens later on, like bleeding out of your eyeballs and shit. Right. Right. That's that's what happens when your immune system system failing. Exactly. Right. I mean, the reason we point out specific diseases is because specific diseases are more virulent. The reason they're more virulent is that our normal immune response isn't as good at dealing with them as it is with a wide range of pathogens. Right. And so this episode, you know, we were kind of giving a more prototypical example. In the future, we're going to be doing some episodes where we talk about kind of more intense things like autoimmune diseases or inflammatory disorder, stuff like that. That's really the system gone wrong. Right. And so we'll get into that in the future. That's like Gary Oldman in The Professional. What happens when the immune system is popping Adderall or, <laughs> or meth or whatever he's doing in that shit. Yes. And he's got to get Natalie Portman. He's doing something. Yeah. All right. Well, let's say, uh, <laughs> let's say thank you to Stacy Song, our sound lord and engineer. Thank you, Brian Allen, for art. And then thank you, Griffin, our sometimes contributor and our animator extraordinaire. Yeah, potential animator. You can tweet us at Dish Podcast. You can email us at petridishpod at gmail.com. You can toss us a buck a month if you'd like at patreon.com slash petridish. Rate and review us at podchaser.com slash petridish. Apple Podcasts or wherever people take ratings and reviews. Guys, remember, your body is a complicated Rambo-style movie. Take care of it. (laughs) All right. We'll see you guys next time.